Good morning, church. Welcome here. Doesn't it feel good to be together? Man, some of you, you haven't been here uh, worshiping in this space in months. This is your first time back. Really glad you're here. And for those of you who are online, thanks for joining us in that way. And we can't wait uh, for the Sunday that uh, you can be here with us in person worshiping here. We long for that day. And uh, the good news is, maybe you heard this last uh, week that the government here is proposing increasing uh, the capacity limits for churches. And so potentially already next week, we're going to be able to have twice as many people here. And so uh, God willing, that will be the case. And uh, we look forward to seeing many more here. Uh, before we go into the message this morning, and if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Colossians. Even at home, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to spend our time there together this morning um, to try to keep our services kind of efficient here with time. Uh, we're not taking time to like announce different things happening in the life of the church, but uh, I think it's, it's worthy of a moment just to remember that uh, Tobin Mueller, a 12-year-old boy in our church and the son of one of our CMT, our church board members, uh, is undergoing brain surgery on Tuesday. And so earlier this week, they found a mass on Tobin's brain, completely unexpected. It's kind of shaken the Mueller family. And uh, he's going in for emergency surgery on Tuesday, uh, an all-day, very delicate surgery. And so the Mueller's really covet our prayers and support as a church. Many of you have already signed up to, uh, to take a half-hour block to pray on Tuesday, the surgery day. If you go to our website, go to our registrations, you have an opportunity there to, to sign up to pray for a certain half hour through the day. We want to cover that whole day uh, with prayer for, for Tobin and be remembering that family as well as the Emmer family in our prayers as Paul recovers uh, from surgery and the Schwartzes, Don's in the hospital. They're recovering from, uh, from a stroke and he's not out of the woods and there's so many more needs within our body and our community that we can't mention, but we want to be in prayer for those in need. And uh, God, we, we thank you that uh, we know that you're big enough for all of those things and I just pray that you would help each person, the Mueller family, the Schwartzes, the Emmers, all of us to trust uh, in your grace, which is sufficient for all the situations we find ourselves. God, we just pray that uh, you would work... Um, healing and restoration by your hand. Now, as we come to your word, God, uh, as we open that up, we also open up our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us. God, you want to speak to us. We want to hear from you. Um, so God, help us to hear your word and to be doers of the word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you ever wondered what it would be like to have a church named after you? That's one of those things that pastors kind of think about, right? St. Rusty Baptist Church. Doesn't it have a good ring to it? After the first service, someone thought uh, maybe we should call it Rusty Nails Baptist Church. That would bring in a whole new sort of person into the life of the church, maybe. Um, what do you got to do to become a saint? Do you know the process? It's a five-step process, historically speaking, in the church. The first step is you got to die, which is kind of unfortunate. You got to die. You got to be dead for five years before someone commends you to the church as someone who is of exemplary character and they investigate your life and they find you of good character. They designate you a servant of God and they pass your name on to Rome and they dig into your life a little bit more. And if they find you're a person of heroic virtue, they designate you venerable. And it's at the point when you become venerable that people can start praying to you to intercede on their behalf. And if one of those prayers results in a miracle uh, that they find credible, then you become blessed. 
And if another miracle gets accredited to you, then you become a saint. It's a five-step process, and so it's kind of easy-peasy. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. At the beginning of the book of Colossians, in his introduction to the letter to this church, the church in Colossae, which is in present-day Turkey, he opens the letter by saying this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. To God's holy people. Now, in your Bible, that might actually say the word saints. If you've got the King James Version or an ESV or another version, it'll say to God's saints. The people in uh, in Colossae, Paul called saints, and they were very much alive. And, and they were a church just like us, full of ordinary people, old people, young people, men, women, children, people of every economic station, rich and poor, uh, people of every background, people of every race, people of every profession, plumbers and waitresses and teachers and accountants. And Paul calls all of these people who have put their faith in Jesus Saints, did you know that if you're a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint? You are holy in Christ? Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that you are holy? We're in this series over these months looking at our identity in Jesus Christ, and the big idea is that our truest self Your truest self, your truest identity is not found in your relationship with others as a mother or father or husband or wife. It's not found in relation to your work, in relation to your possessions. Your truest identity is found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's your truest self. And who you think you are matters. It determines how you live, how you think, how you act. It's so important to understand all that we are, all the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And so one by one, we're looking at these spiritual blessings, these these aspects of our identity, these labels as we've called them. And this morning, we're going to add this label. We are in Christ holy. You bear this name, this label, holy. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? When you think of a holy person, what do you think of? I think of someone who's like an exceptionally good Christian. Like they've ridden themselves of a lot of bad habits and they don't smoke. They probably don't drink. They don't use bad words. They probably don't laugh at too many jokes. They're probably a very serious sort of person. They've probably devoted their life to service of God, maybe in, in, in some sort of monastery or they've gone into ministry or something. Um, and this is what I think of when I think of someone who's holy. They're, they're a kind of a, an elite sort of Christian because they have attained a certain degree. They're not perfect, but, but they're pretty close. They're holy. Well, you know what? The Bible never describes holiness in, in those terms. Literally, the, the, the biblical word for holy means to be set apart. To be holy is to be set apart. Set apart for God's purposes. 
So a thing or a person or a place or a time can be designated holy if it's set apart for a special purpose. And so this is really important, what you need to know to know what it means to be holy in Christ. It doesn't mean to be especially perfect. It means to have a special purpose for your life. And as a Christian, you are holy. You have a special purpose. Now, if you've been reading through the Bible in this, in this uh, year through the Bible reading plan, um, I, I've been in Exodus this past month, as have many of you. And in Exodus, we got all of God's instructions, how to build the tabernacle, all the objects for the temple, and the development of this priest system. And it talks about these things that are to be made holy. They are to be set apart from ordinary things to be used in God's temple for the worship of God. That's what makes it holy. So, you know, a candlestick holder maker, there's got to be a better way to say that, uh, makes a whole bunch of candlesticks. Let's say makes 10 and they're all identical. But if you separate one and the other 10 just go to light your home for normal purposes, but that 10th one goes to into the temple to, to provide light in the temple for the worship of God, that one has been set apart. That one is holy. It's no different than all the others. It's the exact same stuff. It does the exact same thing, but it does it for a special purpose, for God's purposes. And that's what makes it holy. It's been set apart. Objects, people. And so, uh, if you read in Exodus, it talks about the, the garb that the priests are supposed to wear. And it had been a while since I read that. And I don't remember reading that Aaron is the high priest beyond the special cloak he was supposed to wear and a hat. God said, you are to make a golden sign that you are to affix to the forehead of the priest... And on that golden plaque, you are to write the words, Holy to the Lord. And when he enters the temple, he has to wear this headdress which says, Holy to the Lord. For the priest is holy. The priest is set apart for God's special purposes. And yet, when Jesus died on the cross, we're told in the gospel something very interesting happened. In that moment when Jesus took his last breath and he died, we're told that in the temple in Jerusalem, that curtain that separated the holy place from the ordinary place was torn in two. That division between the holy of holies that only the priest could enter into and the ordinary space was torn in two. Holiness had left the building. And so Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your bodies are temples of God's Spirit. God dwells in you. It's not that holy place over there anymore. Now, you are holy. You are set apart for God's purposes in Jesus Christ. So if you, if you look in the New Testament, what you find is that no longer are certain people designated holy. In fact, all Christians are called priests. Not only certain, but all of us are called priests. There are not certain places that are holier than other places, which is why I really don't like calling this room the sanctuary, because that word sanct, you know, it comes from the same word holy. And you know what? The Bible teaches us that this space is not any holier than the foyer or your house or your workplace or your school or out in the woods. 
certain days we find out are no longer holy. And so Paul will say in Romans chapter 14, he says, hey, some of you think of one day as holier than the others, and others of us think of all days alike. And I think he was referring to himself. Not that no day is holy, but that now in Christ, every day is holy. Every day contains a special purpose. Why? We have a purpose as Christians that isn't confined to a certain place, a certain time, a certain activity. And this is what we find in the book of Colossians. Kind of find what it means to be holy. In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 17 through the end of chapter 3. This is what Paul says in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what was he talking about? Well, just the verse before verse 16, uh, he, taught, he gave them instruction about teaching one another uh, with all wisdom through hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And you might think he's talking about like churchy stuff. The stuff that happens on Sundays, you know, spiritual activity. And that's not what he's talking about at all. And, and we haven't been done any favors by Zondervan or whoever published your Bible because they put a heading after verse 17 that would make you to think that verse 17 was the end of a thought, verse 18 is the beginning of a new thought, when that's not at all the case. Paul didn't put these headings in here. He continues, he's about to show us what he's talking about when he, when he says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. He continues in verse 18. Wives, submit your husbands, submit to yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and I'm going to move on from that as quickly as I can. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, and children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart. And reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, now he's talking to the slaves, same words. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So what is this, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord? Well, it's all the regular, routine roles and responsibilities of life. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the Monday to Saturday. He's talking about the nine to five. He's talking about your workplace, he's talking about your school, he's talking about your recreation, and he's talking about your relationships, he's talking about your home. That's what he's talking about when he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What he's saying is that all of our activity, all of our work, all of our relationships are holy. They have a special purpose. So this is what I want to suggest to you, being holy means that everything that we do is infused with incredible significance and eternal meaning. Everything you do is infused with incredible significance and eternal meaning because everything you do has the ability to bring God glory. I think that's what it means when he says, whatever you do, 
do it all in the name of the Lord. I think what that means is do it all for God's glory because Paul says almost the exact same thing in 1 Corinthians 10.31 when he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all for the glory of God. He says exactly the same thing. How you eat, how you drink, how you relate to your kids, how you do marriage, how you work, how you're an employee, how you're an employer, all relates to God. All of it has a special purpose, and that purpose ultimately is to bring God glory. Everything we do can be holy, is to be holy. So how do we live holy in all that we do? What does that actually look like? Well, I think we have an important word here back in verse 17, Colossians 3. He says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And you see this idea of thankfulness connected with holiness. Um, What do you do when you thank someone? What you're saying is, I receive something from someone, and in this case, it's God. When I'm thankful, it's an acknowledgement this doesn't come from me. I didn't make this up, and it's certainly not random. There's someone who gave this to me. And who is that someone? That someone is God. And what has He given me? He's given me everything that I have. If you go back to Exodus chapter 35 and 36, you see this principle. Not only does God give the priests a role, but He says there, He talks about this guy named Bezalel and Oholiab and all these weird names, and He says, I've given these guys skills to do all the work. That's required to do. I have given these guys their skills to be embroiderers, to be engravers, to to work metal, to construction workers. I have given them their skill, God says. Did you know every skill you have is a skill given to you by God for a purpose? And so when, when, when we are thankful with whatever we have, it makes something holy. It's an acknowledgement that this has come from God to me for a special purpose. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 3 and 5, you can throw that up there, James. Paul says this. He's talking about people that want to make distinctions between holy things and unholy things. Holy food, unholy food, holy relationships, unholy relationships. Paul talks about these people. He says, they forbid people to marry. Like they, they consider singleness more holy They consider people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with, say it, thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Do you see what he was saying? Everything that God has made and given you is a gift from God. It is good, and we make it holy. We consecrate it if we receive it with thanksgiving. You make your porridge in the morning holy if you thank God for it, if you recognize it comes from God. When you go out hiking in this beautiful creation, you go, look at this. Look at these trees. Look at the scenery. This is incredible, God. Look what you have made. Thank you so much for this world that you gave us. That is a holy activity. Because what God has given us, He has given us right, to enjoy right, for His glory. 
for His glory. But we have this tendency to separate activities and jobs and everything into two categories, like spiritual categories and unspiritual, spiritual and ordinary, spiritual days, unspiritual days. Spiritual jobs, unspiritual jobs, right? And so we, we use words like calling. Like I, some people will ask me, how do you feel called into ministry? What does that word calling mean? It means like there's someone, and in this like God is the one that has a special purpose, a higher calling, and this is what He wants you to do. And, and there's certain sort of works that we, that we use that word for, calling. Maybe calling into being a, a teacher or calling to be a doctor or, you know, a social worker. But why don't we use the word calling with, like, heavy-duty mechanic? When's the last time you went up to the heavy-duty mechanic? Hey, Jim, how did you feel called into that work? I mean, we, we, we tend to want to separate things into kind of things that are spiritual, that relate to God in some way, and things that don't. But the Bible never does that. The Bible does not distinguish between those categories. You know how I know that? Because no one senses a calling to be a slave. Like no kid came to their mommy and said, Mom, I want to be a slave. I don't know what it is. I just feel this strong urge within me to go and be a slave. Are you sure, Johnny? You sure you heard God right? You sure it was an astronaut? Not want to be a slave. Like no kid is ever. No one goes to the to the to the job fair and comes out of there feeling called to be led to be a slave. And yet Paul speaks to the slaves here. Many slaves had become Christians because the gospel gives equal worth and dignity to a slave than it does to the emperor. All are the same before God. And so Paul says this to slaves in verse twenty-two. He says, "Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything." The Bible is anti-slavery. This isn't condoning it. That's a different sermon. But what he's saying is, you find your, when you get up in the morning, this is what you find yourself doing. This is the position you're in. I want to tell you how to do that. Even you can do this for the glory of God. That, you, that thing that you think is totally impossible to have any sort of higher purpose or meaning, you're wrong. He says, do it not only when their eye is on you and, and, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. He's talking to slaves. You're not working for your human masters. You're working ultimately for the Lord since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus you are serving. Slaves. When you get up and you are doing the most menial sort of tasks, you are mopping the floor. You are cooking another meal. You are under, underappreciated. You are overlooked. Know this. In how you go about your work, you can bring God glory. You can bring pleasure to God when you work at it with all of your heart. We make anything we do holy when we recognize that we have received it from God and we have received it for God. When we can please God, when we take what He has given us and we do it with all our heart. God is pleased in that. And so Martin Luther, he said this. He said, the maid who sweeps the kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn or sh as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. 
The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. God loves good cabinetry, well-built cabinets, well-tended gardens, well-looked-after cars. I hope my wife doesn't hear that one. When we give our best, we give God glory because he, he entrusted that to us. We are stewards of everything that we have. What does that do, friends? Doesn't that just give incredible significance to everything we do? The things that otherwise seem mundane and unimportant and maybe meaningless, it infuses it with incredible significance, incredible meaning. Everything you do has the potential to bring God glory. The pastor does not have any more potential to please God and bring God glory than the mechanic or the mom or the waitress. We each have the ability to praise God with what we do. God never overlooks that. So we have to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Are, am I holy in my work, in my school? When I study, in my relationships, in my marriage, in my recreation, am I holy? Am I, am, I, am I motivated by pleasing my boss or by personal gain or am I motivated by pleasing God? Heard of a guy, uh, an old retired guy that was standing at a, at a job site. He loved just to watch the workers work. They were building a shopping mall and he especially liked to watch this one conscientious operator, operated a large piece of equipment. Uh, the day finally came uh, when that man went up to the worker and uh, said how much he enjoyed his scrupulous work. That worker looked astonished and looked at him and said, you mean you're not the supervisor? <laughs> I know what that's like. I remember working road construction. Hated it. Three summers in a row, medicine hat, grueling heat. I moved gravel with a shovel and a rake from morning till night, day after day, and I hated it. And that's why I went to college, okay? But some people up, God bless those that feel called, that are led by God into that. We need that. We need roads. I didn't enjoy my work, but I can bring God glory when I give my best to whatever I do. Not to curry favor with my boss, but when no one is looking... When I give my best to something, God is pleased. He's glorified. So holy people are mindful that all that they have comes from God and all that they do is for God. We also glorify, so we glorify God by giving our best, but we also glorify God by living our best. He, he said, slaves, work with all your heart. But then he also said, in verse 22, he says, work with sincerity of heart. Sincerity which is, speaks to integrity. Whatever you do in all of your work, in all of your play, in all of your relationships, conduct yourself with integrity. When you conduct yourself with integrity in everything you do, you have the potential to bring God glory because it draws people to the goodness of God. When you find your worth, your significance, your contentment, your joy and your peace in God, that, that draws people to the glory of God. The gospel, and this is what Paul said to slaves again in Titus chapter 2. You'll see it up on the screen there when he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to, to, try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, 
but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they, that is the slave, will make the, te- will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Did you know that you can, in all that we do, we can glorify God by making the gospel attractive? When we show the difference that God makes in the way I conduct myself, the difference He wakes, makes in the way I conduct my business, when I bear up under insults, when I don't get the recognition that I deserved, the way I deal with that, conduct myself, brings God glory and, and kind of like can magnify God. And what does it mean to bring God glory? And I've often used the, the illustration of like a magnifying glass. Our job is to magnify God. You can do it in two ways. A magnifying glass you can put to a small object to make it look bigger than it is. That's one way to magnify it. That's not what it means to glorify God. You can take that same magnifying glass, put it at the end of a telescope, and, and, and point it at a star that's far away and is bigger than you could possibly conceive but looks very small to the naked eye. And through that lens, it makes something that's massive look a little bit closer to its actual size. And that's our life. That's the purpose in which we do all that we do to glorify God. So I remember when I was doing this road construction, which I hated, but I got paired up with, uh, with the uh, equipment operator who happened to be the boss's son who was going to take over the business. And I was with him day after day. And they always made fun of the shovel guys. But like I, I worked really hard and I wasn't perfect. But you know what? That got noticed. Built a relationship with this guy. And he kind of came to respect me. And uh, he would joke around about my faith. But when we were alone, just him and I in the truck driving to a site, he would open up his heart and he would ask questions and build a relationship. And then a year later, when he was about to get married, he didn't know who was going to marry him. So he said, Rusty, would you conduct my wedding? I was 20 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. And here's the heavy equipment operator that I'm working with, going to be the, the boss of this company that has 80 employees. And there I am on this platform, doing a wedding, sharing the gospel with all my coworkers and their families. It was just like a, it was like, it was crazy, right? But it all, but it all began with just kind of conducting oneself with integrity in your job in the mundane routine roles and responsibilities of life. You can bring glory to the God. The ability to bring glory to God in that makes it holy and brings reward, and my time is done. And boy, I wish I could go on a little bit more because I cut stuff out, and you're probably okay with that. But he closed by saying, you know, slave, just know this. Everything you do, you may not get rewarded in this life, but you, you are seen by God. Everything you do. And everything you do for his glory will be rewarded. How you did your work. How you conducted yourself Monday to Saturday, 9 to 5, in the workplace, in the home, and at school. God will reward all that you do for him. So in Christ, friends, you are set apart for a special purpose. You are made holy. You're called to bring God glory in all that you do. Everything is spiritual. Remember that when you wake up tomorrow morning, whatever you're going to do, when you're looking after your kids, packing their lunches, when you're going to work, remember everything you do is holy. It's all spiritual. God infuses it with incredible significance and eternal meaning. Meaning. So my question for you is, um, um, are you wearing this label, holy, at home? 
Are you wearing it at school? Are you wearing that? Are you wearing it at work? Are you wearing it at play? Are you living knowing that you're holy in all that you do? What would it look like for you, like the priest of old, and we're all called priests, what would it look like for you tomorrow morning to put on your socks, to put on your pants, to put on your shirt, and then to put on this plaque on your forehead engraved in gold that says, Holy to the Lord. When you go to be with your family and you go to school and you go to work, what would that look like to live that way? As we come to communion, and hopefully you got one. If you didn't, you can grab, uh, you could go grab one just outside there in the foyer, feel free. As we come to this time to celebrate what God has done for us, we are reminded that when Jesus died, that veil was torn, that separated us from God, and through Christ, through faith in Him, we are made holy. God dwells within us. We have life in Jesus' name. And so as we take this bread, I want to just give you a moment to thank God that in Christ you have been made holy. You and everything you do has been made holy through Christ. Just take a moment to thank Him for the significance that that brings to you. Let's pray. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you because I love you. Remember me every time you eat of it together. Let's eat. You can delicately take that wrapper off your cup. before we drink this cup together, let's just take another moment to ask God to use you to bring Him glory this week in all the settings of your life, the regular routine, roles and responsibilities. Just ask God to use you to bring Him glory. Commit yourself to Him as holy again. Let's take a moment to ask. Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember me every time that you drink of it together. Let's remember. Let's bow our heads. Our Father God, we, we thank you that any work, any deed, any word that is dedicated to you, that is done in service of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is thereby made holy. 
that the work that we give as fathers, as mothers, as parents, that the work that we give as teachers, as plumbers, as electricians, construction workers, the work we give in any arena is thereby made holy by its dedication to you. And so, Lord, we dedicate ourselves for this upcoming week to serve you, to do all things to your glory, and we pray that you would empower us to do that by your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.